0: to Test, un bad cinema film.
1: you still listening, This
0: is our final transmission. We're here. Jamie, how's it going?
1: Pretty wonderfully, Sam. How are you?
0: God, never been better, bud. Never been better.
1: You're lying. Tell the people about the shit that's coming out of your ass right now.
0: <laughs> I've been a little bit unwell, but I'm on the fucking rebound. I feel uh, feel like a million bucks. Seeing your face has pulled me out of the toilet. I feel great.
1: Well, good. Speaking of the toilet, we're going to talk about The Curse of the Crimson Altar.
0: Yes, we are. A uh, Productions movie which, you know, I already know that you're a huge fan of and that was brand new to me. This movie is from 1968, I believe. Correct. Uh, Operates under an alternative title, The Crimson Cult, and has some Euro titles as well. How did you come across this particular piece of British cinema?
1: So this is one that's relatively new to me. I first saw this maybe in the last three years. Okay. Um, And I was just going through Prime and it was there and... On the little sort of thumbnail, there was like the blue witch, Lavinia. And I mm-hmm. thought, this looks suitably good and dumb. Obviously, it's got Christopher Lee and Boris Karloff in it. So I was like, yeah, let's give her a spin. And I I loved it. Spoiler alert, I'm a big mm. fan of this movie. It's not what I would describe as good. Right. But I do enjoy how it plays with some of the things that we've seen done loads better in other movies.
0: Okay. So as, a, as an aficionado of movies of this particular genre, did you recognise Barbara Steele on the cover or did it take you a minute to recognise who the blue lady was that you were looking at?
1: Yeah, no, I didn't think I recognised Barbara Steele right away. It was only when she's in motion in that opening mm-hmm. scene where I dragged my gaze away from the fetish leather nipple pasties lady with a whip. Long enough to go. Oh yeah, that's Barbara Steele. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean those scenes are quite distracting in many ways. There is a lot of good fun bondage in this movie. It's got to be one of the one of the biggest um, one of the biggest sells for me is just how much dirty dungeon bondage 60s style there is in this film. Uh, yeah. So I don't think we're dropping any spoilers because this movie is fucking fifty years old. But yeah, seeing that that top build cast of, of, of Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee as well as seeing Barbara Steele on the cover. And then, uh, you know, for me, the, the big one is uh, Michael Goff is in the movie. As soon as yeah. I saw him, I was losing my mind with excitement. So how, how did this affect you the first time you saw it? You said you found it on Prime. What was the uh, what was the first watch like?
1: I just thought it was a very dumb, very goofy attempt to cash in on that sort of folk horror thing that was really big at that time, which is also really big now. Mm and um, that sort of cycled back around in a lovely way the, i mean the, my main takeaway the first time i saw it was this is the wicker man if the wicker man was made by people that had no idea how to make a great movie
0: <laughs> yeah you did you did tell me that you had some parallels between this and the wicker man i i felt while i was watching it like it was a, a few points it was almost at risk of being wicker man-esque uh, but kind of pulls away in, in lots of very key areas in terms of not just quality, but some pretty, to me at least, looks like really deliberate choices not to be the Wicker Man. What was your what are your parallels?
1: Well, I mean, I think we'll get into that a bit more because I, I kind of wanted to, because we'll probably never cover the Wicker Man because what can you say about the Wicker Man that hasn't been said a million times before by people who are far more articulate than us? Yeah. Um, but I, I sort of wanted to... Maybe backdoor a Wicker Man episode off the back of this, nice. so I think I think we'll get into the Wicker Man parallels a bit more. I think this is it's worth saying it's it's pre the Wicker Man, uh, it's before Robin Hardy and Shaffer even wrote the novel that the Wicker mm-hmm. Man was ultimately based on, uh, which they they kind of were doing in in tandem with making the film. So it's not that it's a rip off of the Wicker Man. It almost feels like a spoof of the Wicker Man to me. Yep. it's more that. This, this sort of plot and this sort of story was really in the zeitgeist. People mm-hmm. were fucking terrified that there were gangs of satanic witches running around the countryside, mm-hmm. luring in very horny antique dealers to try and get them to, <laughs> I don't know, sign the black book or whatever. Like, people were genuinely worried about this. I mean, it's stuff that comes straight out of a Dennis Priestley novel. Dennis yeah. Priestley... It's stuff that comes straight out of a Dennis Wheatley novel. Or a J.B. Um,
0: Priestley novel for that matter.
1: Eh? Oh yeah, sure. Yep. <laughs> so like, it's it really captures that, but in a way that is super low rent, whereas The Wicker Man deals with it in a very sort of nuanced and interesting way. There's nothing nuanced and interesting in Curse of the Crimson Altar. It is horny people getting into stupid situations because they're horny. It could be made in the 80s. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it has such an 80s feel. You just took the corn right out of my ass with everything you just said. That's absolutely perfect. Speaking of, you know, backdoor Wicker Man, uh, this is sexier. It's it's much more comic book than the If the Wicker Man is heady and cerebral and mystical and interesting and ladled with thrills, this is the polar opposite in every way. But you're right. You somehow walk away charmed. So do you want to give us a little, uh, a little synopsis? You've just teased that we're dealing with uh, a main character who is you know an antiques dealer do you need to say more (laughs) the guy is the guy is not exactly what you might call a whirlwind of charisma but let's maybe if you can break the movie down for us a little bit
1: sure so the plot is very similar to what would ultimately be with the plot of the wicker man Mm -hmm. which is uh, an antiques dealer obviously it's it's a cop in the wicker man is forced to go into a small town looking for his missing brother during uh, while they are conducting their sort of annual celebration in honour of their local witch, Lavinia, who was burned at the stake hundreds of years before. Mm-hmm. The town is led by their local lord, which is Christopher Lee. Ultimately, Bob, the, uh, the horny antiques dealer, is drawn into their lives and ultimately set up to be the sacrifice at the centre of this festival, uh, like a big turkey at Pagan Christmas.
0: Nailed it, bud. That's exactly the movie that I saw. Um, One interesting side note, I guess, I read a lot online about this. Uh, It's slightly refuted, but uh, it's allegedly based on um, Dreams in the Witch House by Lovecraft. Uh, Have you read that?
1: I've read it a long time ago, Mm. and I don't really remember it. And I think based on could be easily replaced with, ripped off from, through a series of people where it's been slightly tweaked each time. So it's, it, I think it's come through Jerry Soule, who is an American uh, writer, wrote some um, Star Trek and some Twilight Zone and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then through Tony Tensor who is the, the, the man behind Tygon. And then ultimately to a couple of people who... Used to write jokes for Tommy Cooper that you'd never really know that based on God. the script for this movie.
0: <laughs> well, he wrote the script for Die Monster Die, didn't he? And he wrote, um, I was reading about his involvement in stuff like The Man from Atlantis. So, yeah, hmm. a great fantasy mind in a lot of ways. So maybe inspired by a Lovecraft story is is better. But it's definitely taken in a completely different and unique direction and, and put in a very sort of quintessentially English setting that, you know, most English people are going to immediately recognize. And it does inhabit this strange hinterland between the yet-to-be Wicker Man and really raw folk horror, also from Tygon, like Witchfinder General. You know, it feels really... Yeah. Um, it feels like it has its place in that catalogue. Uh, do you rate it in the in the Tygon movies quite highly? Or where would you, where would you put it? Because they didn't make a million movies, right?
1: No, I think there are three... Tigon movies that are worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh this is one of them. Witchfinder General is one of the and The Blood on Satan's Claw is the other. Which you love, right? Everything else, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's it's a classic. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 interesting that they're all sort of folk horror stories. Mm-hmm. Everything before that is basically I will I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off a couple of my favorite Tigon titles Go on. from before they moved into horror. So there is The Magnificent Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah. And there's My Bare Lady.
0: I mean, say no more. Why go into horror when you're already (laughs) nailing soft erotica? Like, why touch it? This is great.
1: Well, I mean, with this, we are towing the line between the two, aren't we? There is a lot of... This this almost feels like Adventures of a Plumber's Mate or a (laughs) carry-on film. Like, those sort of... Like, your main guy, Bob, is so desperate to bang literally anyone that will even look at him. Yep. Which is one of the interesting things that is completely plays at odds with the wicker man because obviously the the reason that the wicker man is ever sexy mm. is because britt Eklund obviously is britt eckland and is amazing but like the sexuality in the wicker man feels so forbidden and like yeah how he is fighting it throughout and you feel like you have to fight it too whereas in this it's all just on the table like do you reckon this double bed is big enough to fit two? Yeah, obviously it is. It's a double bed. What the fuck are you talking about?
0: Yeah, it's... You know, the the allure of the sexuality in The Wicker Man is... It comes from repression, right? It's puritanical. It's mm. it's uh, starched white sheets. This has so much gratuitous physicality to it that it does become laughable. It's not that the nudity is gratuitous or it's like it's ditzy and dumb in it's sexuality. It's like everyone is touching everyone at all times. Like, there's yeah. so much... Like you said, cloying desperation for there to be some fucking in this movie, and it's it's a big part of what really turns me off about Robert Manning, our, our main character. But it's also part of what makes him compelling to watch because he is a total fucking car crash. Like he's out searching for his long lost brother, who he's having these horrific visions of, uh you know, dying in the night, and he's seeing him in these awful places, and. He's just trying to get laid. Like <laughs> he spends eighty percent of his time trying to get laid. Maybe five percent actually looking for his brother, and fifteen percent just getting distracted by stuff. He's such a flawed protagonist, and there's so much wrong with him. You know, I could fill an hour just talking about how much the guy sucks. What do you What do you think of his performance?
1: I mean, it's a perfectly fine '60s British film performance. Yep. Like I say, he's straight out of like a, a British bawdy comedy of that time he's like one notch on like a scale of like ridiculous to dramatic he's like one notch above you guy from steptoe and son in carry on screaming (laughs) yeah like it's a very silly performance why don't we before we get any deeper why don't we take a quick break oh god yes and then we'll come back and we'll talk about top shagger bob the antique dealer in depth
0: (laughs) all right let's take a break Come on, man! Does that thing even work? No, there's nothing out there. It's just dead. Air. Jamie. Yes, mate. Guess what? Go on. Final transmission. This podcast that you are very much a part of is brought to you by Red Scare Industries, Chicago, and the world's greatest record label.
1: Holy shit! That's uh yeah. that's cool
0: that's pretty great. Uh, why do we love Red Scare? A million and one reasons, mainly the music. Uh, out now on Red Scare, we've got Head Full of Snakes by the band Tightwire. Superb, highly polished punk rock bangers for fans of Blink-182, The Copyrights, The Lillingtons, etc. Buy it now before it fucking explodes.
1: I've not heard this record yet, so I'm gonna buy it right now. Well, after we record this.
0: No, I'm going to watch you buy it right now. Show me. Show, Daddy, how you buy records. (laughs) And let's go back to the show. So, Bob, he is just such a guy, isn't he? He's just there and he's doing guy things.
1: It's just, it's instant as well. The first time we see him, his assistant brings in this delivery and he's like, I'd like to deliver my cock into your arse or whatever it is that he says.
0: (laughs) It might as well be that. First like class he drags her- my dick your ass like it's so <laughs> that isn't it
1: yeah he drags her from standing up onto his onto his lap <sighs> yeah. and she's like i mean this is the price of working here
0: Like, what an amazing job you've got. Just like walking around a room with him all day, saying general things about general work. Like, it's so unbelievable as a workplace to begin with. And yeah, it's, I mean, that's his MO. From the very beginning, he just grabs chicks, he's just out there grabbing ladies. He is like completely abhorrent front to back. He's also very boring. And he has this look that is thoroughly forgettable. I kept forgetting who he was in the movie and he's the main character. Yeah. But still, somehow he propels the story along in his own weird little way. He's very uh, he's he's an atypical uh, star, quote unquote. He looks way better in black and white. I looked at some of his older movies and he's a way more compelling you know, visual presence on screen in black and white. But. Somehow, he drags us along for the ride. I think that's because it's it's a good, really good story on paper, right? The actual plot, yeah. I think, is great. So it doesn't even matter if he if he blunders and bumbles and is a bit forgettable. But, you know, he's backed and surrounded by, on all sides, Christopher Lee, Boris Karloff, Michael Goff, Barbara Steele, um, Derek Tansley, who we're supposed to know but I don't. Do you know who Derek Tansley is? No. He's billed as, and special guest, Derek Tansley. I, I guess maybe he's in lots of old movies that I'm too ignorant to have seen, but... um. Sure, he's good. Either way, whichever way you slice it, um, Mark Eden has a lot of people to lean on in this movie in terms of his performance. Yeah. He is dead, and he did die fairly recently. He died in 2021.
1: Good riddance, I and, say. And good
0: no. fucking riddance. What a sex fest. <laughs> um, <laughs> poor dude. Yeah. I mean, what did he die of? Oh, who fucking cares? I'm really struggling to pretend I care about this guy. Um, no one would shag him. Yeah.
1: Everyone, everyone kept directing him back to his own bedroom, yeah. and therefore...
0: <laughs> he didn't get laid for, like, two days, and he just dropped dead. So, you know, we, we spend a lot of time with this guy, and through him we meet a very colourful cast of characters. Uh, one of his first sort of noteworthy moments is... he, he I guess he attempts an act of chivalry. There's a, a woman, a scantily clad, classic 60s babe, just running in the woods, um, and it looks very ominous. It's actually played quite well for for... Uh, I guess subtle terror and he drives up and he tries to rescue this woman and then he kind of gets beaten up by a bunch of guys who are just playing a strange game of cat and mouse kind of so we do yeah. see that maybe he has some semi-noble intentions but then immediately we find out he's just trying to bang everyone and they end up making out in the headlights <laughs> for no reason
1: yeah so an interesting thing here is is that obviously he lands in this town the name of which I've completely forgotten and they're celebrating it's like the their witches' night or whatever they call it. Yeah. And they're celebrating their their witch Lavinia. But I never really get a sense of, and this is again going back to the Wicker Man, who's involved, who knows what's happening, who cares what's happening? Do all these people just see this as a as an excuse to shag each other and everyone that they've ever come across in the town? Like, what why are they partying?
0: Yeah. So this this party is our first like major scene and it's lots of people in very interesting costume or lack of. And they're doing stuff like pouring champagne on their boobs. They're painting each other. They're on like piggyback running around painting each other with these long paintbrushes. And I I took it as initially we've been introduced to some kind of just rich kid you know nihilistic party that was happening in this mansion and then yeah we're told yeah. it's not really that, that that a couple of them live there and they're just having like a run of the mill average every day weekend i i and we well, see none of these people again for the rest of the movie by the way <laughs> apart from one one character yeah
1: yeah we just get we just get eve yeah. right and she sort of is the is the thing that carries through to the rest yep. of the film i think the party is meant to be like because it's witch's night or whatever mm. so we're, we're doing all these things that feel sort of folky and like where I used to live in West Yorkshire on um, May the 1st, they would do a thing called mm. Pace Egg where you throw an egg down a hill and everyone would run after it. People would have dragons and stuff. It's like that sort of weird mm-hmm. stuff. And, and you get a sense of that with the painting and with the everyone's got their boobs out or whatever, but it, it doesn't really factor into anything. And in The Wicker Man... That is done really, really well. Obviously, we we understand what people's motivations are. Even when we don't know what their actual motivations are, we know that something funny is going on and we buy into what they're what they're thinking or what they might be thinking. Whereas in this, it's just, here's a scene. Scene's over now. Here's the next yeah. scene.
0: Yeah, you're right. We're we know immediately, even if we don't fully understand the ritual or the meaning behind it, we know that there's something ancient happening and being celebrated by a group of people who are who are you know doing respect to the tradition by dressing and doing certain things in this yeah i was lost i just thought okay rich kid party and then we meet christopher lee how what are the connections here why is dad upstairs while well, the house party happens downstairs yeah there's no there's nothing that attaches one to the other there's no uh there's nothing really ritualistic about the party for example the the, the clothing is just like you know 60s as hell and there's no nod or reference to any kind of tradition or folklore or anything like that. So maybe, maybe what we're being told subtly is that these kids don't really get it and they're just having a razz. Whereas the older people are much more invested in the celebration itself and celebrating it in a very different way, but it's not made clear. And I honestly think it's just uh, an excuse for a massive party scene, (laughs) which is fine. And it leads us.
1: Uh, They they, they sort of, they sort of tell us that, This this party is for the for the witch for video. But like they don't tell us why or
0: Or who that is or
1: Yeah, or no one really sells that as a real thing. Yeah. It's just it's just an excuse for for some boobage.
0: Yep, and you know, they tick that box solidly several times in the movie. And it does lead us upstairs to Christopher Lee, who I think is phenomenal in this movie just by being there and doing christopher lee things i think he's great yeah
1: Yeah, i think christopher lee and boris Karloff really just carry this movie yeah i mean i probably would still like it if it was ex-actors from from the day Mm. but the the level of gravitas that both of those bring to what is ultimately a very frivolous piece of entertainment Mm. is is just great i think that they really sell it it's interesting that the christopher lee uh, counts this as his worst performance or the, yeah. or the worst film that he was in. Yeah. Which is so weird because I think he counts Lord Isle in The Wicker Man as his best. Yeah. But they're not really different guys. They could easily be the same guy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in The Wicker Man, he's dealing with a, with a better script and a better director and someone that knows what they're doing and someone that has a real sense of of, of the occult and of the traditions that that they're that they're building on, whereas this is just like you know, toss out a couple of things and call it a call it a
0: cult. Dude, he was in the fucking Star Wars movie, the Phantom Menace or whatever the fuck. That's like the worst movie ever made. That was your worst movie, Christopher. <laughs> like, I think
1: I think I think the world is coming around on those those Star Wars sequels, their prequels.
0: The world can go fuck itself. That movie well, is bad. <laughs>
1: I haven't seen it since, I don't know, when did it come out? 97?
0: Fuck I haven't seen it
1: since since around then.
0: Hate it. Hate it. Hate him in it. But here's the thing, right? Christopher Lee, phenomenal career, amazing actor. We love him. You know, he does in this what he does in, uh, for me, in Sleepy Hollow. He's in Sleepy Hollow for, like, 10 seconds. It's the best fucking 10 seconds in the movie. (laughs) Like, everything he drops into I mean, he's not really dropping into this he does have quite a bit of screen screen time but he just owns every second that he's on screen so to see him on screen with karloff they're not jostling for the spotlight they just complement each other perfectly
1: yeah so i read that he only did this because boris karloff was gonna die in like two days and he was like i want to work with karloff again they only made they only made two movies together
0: what was the other Um, one um
1: Oh, that's, I knew you were going to ask me that. I wish, I wish <laughs> Why I wouldn't it. I?
0: <laughs> well, it can't have been that great if you don't remember it. But yeah, they, they just, they. I think they both deliver very relaxed performances, which is amazing when you say, yeah, Karloff was not far away from dying, had fucking pneumonia while they were filming. And Christopher Lee was probably, you know, in that slightly out of his mind phase of his career. But they just deliver these really easy, believable, genuine looking performances. Yeah, with some tricky dialogue i think
1: well i mean it's it's hard to sell nonsense <laughs>
0: yeah
1: my favorite bit of boris karloff dialogue uh because this film hates women right yeah. is he offers gin to everybody and uh, eve says no thank you and he says good girl it'd be wasted Voasted on, on you
0: <laughs> so bad uh yeah awful um his best line has to be about his collection. Do you remember that line?
1: Oh, uh, torture. torture. Instruments of us. torture. That's it, yeah. well,
0: what is it you collect? Instruments of torture. Just really mischievously delivered, but not over the top. You know, a lot of people hammer off for, for being over the top or for, you know, he can't win in a lot of people's eyes. He's either over the top or he's not doing anything. He's just grunting. But he, he I think he delivers a really nuanced performance in this with some tricky material. And I think Christopher Lee does the same. He's so calm and yeah. immediately menacing. I find Christopher Lee uh, makes me uneasy throughout this whole movie because he's lying all the time and he is lying so convincingly that you never really know where you stand with him, right?
1: Yeah. I think the reason that people might think that Boris Karloff is over the top, yeah. particularly in this movie, is that every time he says anything, the soundtrack goes, ring!
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the soundtrack in this movie the less said the better, really. I mean... I love
1: it. I think it's amazing. I you mean, know, it's so
0: stock music.
1: Yeah, it's so whimsical. It sounds like Looney Tunes. Like, a, it's... The the sex music is hilarious. It is, actually, Like, yeah. the, the, the stings are so good. There's so many stings. Anytime anyone says anything, yeah. there's a sting after it. It's, I, I love that. Yeah. I think it's like this movie was directed by Alfred Hitchcock falling down the stairs. Like,
0: it's just... That's brilliant. Uh, With a boner. He's tripped over his boner and he's falling down the stairs. There's a bit in this that has the same stock music as Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That tells you everything you need to know about the, the process of selecting music for this film.
1: I think it's great.
0: Yeah, apparently the American version, which I don't think either of us have seen, was... Re, had a recomposed score and is borderline 80s sounding apparently and it you know changes the whole thing.
1: I think that probably happened in the 80s there was a bit of a thing of like getting I don't know like Giorgio Moroder, Moroder or whatever to like rescore mm. um, films that people had the licenses to and right. they were they all came out dog shit right. nothing negative about Giorgio Moroder I, I think his his music and his scores are generally pretty good but like a film like this or a film that's made in the 60s wants to have that sort of whimsical 60s feeling nobody mm. wants ominous 80s synth in a movie about sex-crazed antique dealers yeah. signing signing over their souls to the devil
0: it doesn't work you're right you have to lean into the fact that it is silly in order to show everyone that you're self-aware enough to be making you know not a cinematic masterpiece but something with lots of entertainment value So I think, yeah, yeah, I think the score does that. Absolutely. I think, so, I mean, the meat and potatoes of this movie is this fairly difficult to follow. Is he being drugged? Is he having nightmares? Is he hallucinating? Is he, uh, is there a supernatural element invading his dreams? Kind of exploration of the house, the Grey Marsh Manor, or uh, I can't remember what the actual house is called. In order to find his brother, he has to kind of quest through, like vision quest almost at at night, right? Yeah. Craxted Lodge. So, i got quite lost several times with what was actually happening because i didn't know if his brother was dead i didn't know if his brother was imprisoned somewhere and i didn't really know what the deal was with the the rituals that he was seeing in his dreams because at the beginning of the movie it's worth mentioning as well there is a, a text block that tells us about uh drugs and hallucinogenic drugs being used to hypnotize people so i'm going in with like this what feels like a detective story you know he's seeking out his brother But is he being uh, hypnotized somehow when he gets to Crackstead Lodge? Did you ever unriddle what actually happens in this movie? Do you care? I I mean, I'm left not really caring because I just had a good time.
1: Yeah, no, I also don't really care. I think the movie doesn't really care. I think his half assed attempts to find his brother involve walking around saying his name to people (laughs) and then realizing halfway through that he might have used a pseudonym.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He knows that he has this pseudonym that he uses all the time and just doesn't fucking... That doesn't enter into his thinking when he's looking for the guy. It's so, like, Resident Evil 1-level investigation. You're <laughs> right, you're just walking around saying someone's name. Jill, like, you're just... It doesn't, it doesn't fucking cut the mustard bud. No. And he thinks he's dead. Like, try a bit. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. And, like, I, I mean, I love the dream sequences. I think, like, this, this film has a very workman like approach to to the direction. But Mm. those dream sequences, they're trying something. They're doing they're at least trying to make a film in those sequences. You get all those weird like kaleidoscope visuals. Mm -hmm. And then like a pink wash that washes over everyone or a blue or a green. Obviously the vineyard is green at all times. There's a, a mannequin with a skull's face and a wide brimmed hat. Yeah. Obviously you've got all the fetish stuff that, that uh factors into those as well. And like that they just look really good. They look like sixties satanic album covers.
0: There's nothing I don't love about those scenes. They're my favourite parts in the movie, full stop. There's taxidermy crocodiles, there's you know, every, yeah. they threw everything in there. There's goat head masks, there's, you know, a lot of whips and chains, a lot of leather, a lot of male nudity, a lot of pointy hoods, you know, all this stuff is Uh, I don't think a particularly disrespectful rendition of the British occult of the time. I think it's bang on the money.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's, like I say, it's all pulled from Dennis Wheatley novels. Yeah. So it's like, this is what Dennis Wheatley thinks is satanic and and sexy, which obviously we've seen Christopher Lee do do some of that stuff as well. So we've seen him in The Devil Rides Out and um, where he plays the... Uh, Dennis Wheatley's, like, main sort of through-line character in those satanic books. I
0: love love the sexuality of it as well, obviously. But there's, like, studded leather hoods and giant leather nipple tassels. And there's, like, body paint. There's all kinds of stuff. And I think what's happening here, really, is that I grew up with a lot of Wheatley books and a lot of Wheatley picture books. I've got the massive, like, Wheatley witch books on my shelf right now. And, you know, to see that played out in colour in a fucking dungeon is badass. The, the costume work is brilliant. I think Lavinia's costume is absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. And there's no bad artwork associated with this movie. All the alternate covers and the posters and everything I've seen are fucking great. They pick all the right stuff from those scenes and put them in there. And uh, Bob is not on the cover of any of them. <laughs> well, why would he be? I know. I know. Just,
1: just an antique dealer <laughs> holding a candlestick with a raging erection. Like, nobody needs to see that. <laughs>
0: Oh, God. He knows fuck all about antiques. It's hilarious. He looks like he's never seen a candlestick in his life when he sees that first candlestick.
1: Like, he holds it, he turns it upside down and says,
0: sometimes these come in pairs. Yeah, dude. No shit. Oh, my God. I, but that's the thing, right? We're at the point of absurdity with him, so it becomes it becomes yeah. fun. I, I'll be honest. The first time I watched this, I missed a lot of the fun. I was just a little bit dumbfounded by the collision of the occult and all the all the occult iconography and visuals that I love uh, clashing with this era that I don't love. And I don't love the yeah. look of it and I don't love the people. I don't love the same thing you don't love about this where everyone is so posh for no reason. And yeah. it's impossible to discern like who's rich and who's just posh. So, I mean, we need that in, in British cinema. I think we need to know where we stand class-wise. I think it's just ground into us.
1: Yeah, it'd be like watching an American film and not knowing who was black and who was white. Or who's you know the what I mean? fucking it's redneck.
0: Like, like yeah, exactly. we need we need these, you know, we need these characterizations to understand the context. And, uh, you know, it, it feels like a, you know, a, a dumb, like, younger person thing to say, but I don't know where the fuck I stand with half of these characters. So yeah. I didn't find the fun the first watch, but I did the second watch. And I think there's a class element in this movie that kind of passes me by a little bit. The, the whole Crackstead Lodge thing, the brandy gags, like that, that brandy gag is a long game gag. Boris Karloff yeah. cannot deal with the fact that Bob does not sip, savour, audibly enjoy and make lots of faces over his brandy. He just necks it every time and he fucking hates that. But to me, Bob is a fucking posh boy antique dealer. He should know his brandy. Do you know what I mean? I just get lost. So that part of my first watch was me being too uptight. Second watch, my advice, I prescribe a big old swallow of whimsy. If you're going to watch this movie, because it, it does get really fun when you just let your guard down and and let the, let the good times roll.
1: I think that's, that's the key really is that you can't, you can't go in expecting the Wicker Man.
0: No, I was duped by the, the cover, you know, the cover proclaims so much dark occult activity and it delivers kind of a fairground ride version of it. You know, it's universal horror nights. It's, it's great, but it's not what they're yeah. telling you it's going to be.
1: Yeah, it's it's a haunted house at your local fair. Absolutely. You've got loads of stuff that is there that you just have to get through to get to the, the, the spooky colours and the and the big scary witch. And this would it's, be a
0: sick haunted house, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, it'd be amazing.
1: I think next year of Halloween I might go as the mannequin with the skull head and the wide brim hat. Yeah? And just stand very still. <laughs>
0: if you do I'll go as Lavinia deal
1: absolutely nice. Lavinia
0: I tell you what I-
1: I'll go as the nipple tassel whip <laughs> lady yeah or
0: well, the guy in the leather speedos he's pretty great there's always that guy in every dungeon scene right that yeah you know bondage mask leather speedo whip guy
1: yeah I think so I think the the, the ritual scenes in this are my favourite interpretation of that specific brand of Wheatley occult yeah um, I don't love The Devil Rides Out. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, it's Christopher Lee, and it's Hammer, and it's great. But it doesn't... I don't find it very fun. Sure. And I want my OTT sexual occult stuff to be to be fun, because I don't take it very seriously generally. Sure. There's nothing serious to me about a man in a leather speedo with studs on it. Do you know what I mean? I, I can't look at that and be like, oh, Yes. The symbolism,
0: like yeah, yeah, you're right, and it's we grew up with WWF and the Misfits, literally Rocky Horror, and all of that stuff being kind of made silly. Whereas people watching this in the '60s might have found it really menacing, like a real threat to the fabric of white bread society. But it's not there for us, is it? We see it through a different lens.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I see the Nasty Boys, the Legion of Doom, Jerry Only, and you know tim curry in assless chaps and it's hard to take that seriously so i think what i do take really seriously is christopher lee's outfits in this movie are absolutely on point he wears some amazing suits he has a beautiful little mustache looks superb
1: his mustache is terrible i think it doesn't look remotely real (laughs) it It doesn't look real does it it looks like, oh, we've got a couple of eyebrows in makeup. Let's uh <laughs> let's stick them on his lip and hope that, that it,
0: does the job. It grows out sideways. It like points <laughs> yeah. like a robotnik moustache. It's ridiculous. But I think it completes the look. It makes me even more suspicious of him because everything he's saying is a lie. Everything about his look is kind of a lie. It makes me wonder what else he's hiding. So are there any other like real high points in this movie for you? I think the whole. Whimsy once I lent into it absolutely and the ending for me was was tricky but when I realized it from about the 50 minute mark it's a Scooby Doo movie I was 100% fine with it
1: Yeah I think the ending I have a bit of an issue with because you know that this movie is what 87 minutes long mm-hmm. and you're at like 86 minutes and 30 seconds and you're like they're going to they're going
0: to end this at any point <laughs> Yeah when do they start the third act <laughs> what's happening
1: and then it, like, the, th- the third act, the, the ending is just 30 seconds at the end where everything goes on fire and everyone everyone's fine apart from the bad guys.
0: It's 100% the Scooby-Doo ending, isn't it? Everything yeah. goes on fire. Karloff gets wheeled out to explain 20 minutes worth of cut footage, probably, and just says, here's <laughs> what happened, and just <laughs> tells us everything. Uh, that, that, I felt shortchanged, but because it ended right when it needed to. I, again, I think it worked. I love the uh, the discovery of this sex dungeon. I, I actually like Bob realizing it's not all in his mind. It is a real place. Yeah. And the bit where he finds out that the cobwebs are fake, I thought was actually a pretty good little bait and switch. Uh, I thought, you know, to to try that in this movie is quite cool. It adds a, a layer of menace that isn't really present the rest of the time. the The deep, dark deception side of things. So I really enjoyed that whole scene. But then to kind of just wash it all away by burning the place down, it's kind of a bummer. But that scene worked for me, weirdly.
1: Yeah, I I love that because I, I love when instead of it being the trope, we see the thing that is creating the trope. Yeah. Like, I mean, to a lesser extent in the film Tammy and the T-Rex, the soul of Tammy's boyfriend embodies an animatronic dinosaur that is an actual animatronic in the movie. Like, it's an animatronic. Right, cool. Instead of it just... Being in a dinosaur. So the idea that we see the, the the special gun that they probably use to actually make the cobwebs in these movies, like building that in, is is a cool thing to me. Mm-hmm. It adds an extra weird layer of like, okay, this movie is trying to fuck with us in a in a way that it never really succeeds. Yeah, but I, I I just enjoy looking at the trope, thinking, okay, here comes the trope because this movie is full of fucking tropes, and then we, I guess, slightly subvert that.
0: You, I mean, you, know, you love that away. subversion when it's done well, but when it's done in trash, yeah. it's no harm done, I think. Yeah. Um, and this movie is self-referentially meta in loads of other areas. There's a bit where they say, oh, it's a haunted house like a horror movie. I bet Boris Karloff's going to jump out in a minute. And then they fucking wheel Boris Karloff out in the very next scene. I mean, that's
1: yeah,
0: unforgivable in another context. But in this, you're like, aha, okay, Scooby-Doo.
1: Yeah, I feel, I feel like... <sighs> If, if it's not a comedy, or it's not a goofy, uh, what would you describe it as a Silly Goose Fun Time? Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that in a serious movie. No. And if you do that in a serious movie, the movie is no longer serious.
0: I mean, I guess the best example of it is Scream-esque, self-referential, you know, meta uh, scripting slash dialogue. Like, there's a lot of that in Scream, and that's, I think, the perfect Silly Goose Fun Time horror movie. Yeah. In a lot of ways. So when it works, it works really well. When it doesn't, it's maybe slightly off-putting, but then no more off-putting than the amount of time he spends just grabbing and kissing women. So a lot of this movie, you just have to let fucking wash over you. So you can enjoy... You've got to fucking... you got to get to the good stuff somehow, you know? Otherwise, you just turn it off in literally five minutes, maybe even three minutes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, that opening scene, that makes you want to keep watching because you've got every... Ritual cult uh, Occult trope All in one scene and it looks fucking great Yeah And then suddenly we're off to fucking Sodsbury to look at Antiques for a minute
0: It's so jarring that transition (laughs) It's like going from watching like A Sabbath music video to Emmerdale in one second Like it's really whip crack Yeah but it you know like you say It's good contrast
1: Are antique dealers in real life super horny i've only got two frames of reference for for on-screen antique dealers right one of them is this right and then the other one is lovejoy oh god
0: (laughs) he's pretty horny
1: he is a horny man and i mean i reckon ian mcshane isn't getting shown back to his own bedroom like
0: he's in there yeah he's well in there as they say i think antique dealers are, are horny i think full stop you could be a you know, a female antique dealer and just be out there cruising for dick. Or vag. Or both. Everyone in this movie seems to be perfectly happy with one or the other, except Bob. I think uh, yeah, sure. Antique dealers are horny. Let's go with that.
1: Cool. Antique dealers are horny.
0: (laughs) Who else is horny? I think um, I've got a weird thing in my head that gamekeepers are horny. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I don't know why. I just think they whack off in sheds a lot and they're around the beastial smells of the wilderness and they just get a mega horn.
1: I don't think gamekeepers are horny. I think gamekeepers...
0: I know a horny gamekeeper. Fair enough. But I know an antiques dealer who's not horny. So, I don't know.
1: Yeah, what what other work roles are just horny coded?
0: Office bosses. Like any male office boss is always an absolute fucking horny toad.
1: Yeah, but they never... They don't get away with it. They couldn't pull... Their, their assistant onto their lap
0: couldn't fucking pull their dick out of their pants half the time yeah bad people generally are the horny ones in movies right horniness is never the good guys thing really
1: well in britain in the 60s being horny is yeah,
0: true it's, it's your best attribute <laughs> it's all you've got yeah. going for you
1: like think about robin asquith I guess milkmen that's uh, they're they're quite horny right?
0: Well it's this is the thing though it's more it's your favorite bait and switch here. It's more that housewives are horny and milkmen are there. That's that's the problem with the, the milkman <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, true. I guess like the postman, the plumber they get yeah, seduced. Plumbers. They're seduced by horny housewives. That's the problem. That's I the think... problem. Women. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you've uh, you've taken the wrong lesson from this movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I've taken many wrong lessons from many wrong things.
1: But yeah, I think I think the the fake porn that I don't know if it really even exists is is the inciting thing there, isn't it? The 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 plumber, the pizza delivery boy, yeah. like
0: I think it's because that industry thinks that we all fantasize about being seduced when we least expect it because we're the menial dude in those scenarios, right? We're the totally Dismissibly boring person who is then magically seduced by the inexplicably hottest person on earth who happens to be there. I think that's the... And maybe that's the whole thing of this movie, right? The occult seduces this boring man. Uh, No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't work. (laughs) I tried to give it another level. It's not there.
1: But I I guess you're right there because, like, the most popular porn at the moment or, I don't know, within the last 10 years is, like, having sex with your best friend's mum or whatever yeah. or your own mum or your sister or a relative it's just like yeah just like a a, a sexy woman that is near you on on regular occasions <laughs>
0: sexy woman that's near you yeah that's how fucking far our erotica has sunk it's just like yeah there's a hot woman near you don't worry about why but I want to know why she's a relative okay <laughs> yeah she's your mum uh oh, fine I guess <laughs> like
1: it's but, like, it's not, oh, it's your mum. It's that your mum is a porn star, right?
0: Yeah. So, so wait, she's my mum. Yeah, but she's hot. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> it's fucking terrible.
1: Yeah, it's like, okay, there's a hot woman near you. Okay, she's hot. Okay, okay, I'm ready. She's your mum. Oh, no, but she's no, hot. No, but she's
0: hot. You're not listening.
1: <laughs> she's not actually your mum. She's Lisa Anne.
0: Yeah, so pretend she's your mum.
1: <laughs> yeah. and she And you're not you. You're him. It's, it's his mum it's not your mum
0: am i the pizza guy no you're a nerdy little gamer boy uh, uh okay can i be the pizza guy no he's way too masculine you are a nerd yeah. he's got gonna he's got a job <laughs> yeah exactly he's employed oh jesus he's not
1: he's not a 13 year old boy that has wandered into x.com yeah. or whatever <laughs> like
0: we're fucking doomed dude
1: isn't it insane that like porn it has always been about, like, the taboo, right? And the taboo used to be, oh, maybe if you're at work, someone might want to fuck you. Yeah. And now it's like, you have to fuck your mum
0: first. Then you have to get (laughs) rimmed by your dad. Yeah, it's like the fucking escalation to the point of absurdity.
1: It's like we're so apathetic to, like, what was taboo 20 years ago that, like, soon it's going to be Aliens are real and you have to fuck them.
0: But that is a thing, isn't it? Like when all those documents were declassified, there was a huge spike in people looking for alien porn. Like Anything that happens that is culturally significant becomes eroticized. And the porn industry is so quick now that it can turn it around overnight. It can just be like, Brexit, let's go. Have a load of Brexit porn. It can just
1: fucking pump it out. Here is the entire... British populace being fucked by a load of Tories. A
0: load of buses, yeah. You want to see Farage getting bukkaked? Uh Here it is. We made it five minutes ago. All yours. It's crazy. Uh, can't say I hate it. <laughs> but I can't say it's, I love it.
1: It's just, it's just weird, isn't it? That, like, we're so desensitized. Like, think about in the 60s, there were stag films, but if you wanted to get your... dick hard you were watching movies like this you were watching carry-on movies you were watching adventures of a plumber's mate and now it's the quaintest thing in the world that they show at like 3 p.m on bbc2 yeah like and the stuff that gets people people's dicks racing is like literally here is your mum, your sister and your auntie which one are you gonna fuck first (laughs) like
0: (laughs) dude Gets your dick racing is the best expression I've ever heard. Just imagine like a line of racing dicks all going towards your auntie.
1: Yeah, I guess the thing with, with porn is that it's not actually your mum. If they, I don't know, in 10 years time, God, Elon Musk know. will will have invented a thing that invades your brain and inserts your mum's head onto any porn, or porn that you watch.
0: Good grief, Jamie. Like, that's going to
1: happen. It's it's science. It'll be the
0: metaverse.
1: Yeah. Fuck your mum in the metaverse. Fucking
0: <laughs> Take your dick to the races. Fuck your mum in the metaverse now. <laughs> we got the marketing campaign nailed. <laughs> yeah.
1: Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Hit us up. We've, we've got so many ideas. <laughs>
0: anyway, this is all getting cut. But the. <laughs> it's not getting cut. It's all
1: staying in. Shit.
0: The point is. The cinematic evolution of erotica.
1: <laughs> yeah, I said I wanted to backdoor an episode about the Wickhamer. <laughs> it turns out I just wanted to backdoor someone's mum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, and that's very on brand, Jamie, i got to say. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Karloff Ugh. is fucking cartwheeling in his grave right now. His fucking dick is off to the races. Is there anything we've missed in our brain? <laughs> Any stone unturned in this scholarly critique of the Crimson Altar?
1: Um, we haven't talked much about Michael Goff yet. Mm. Which I Michael Goff is is basically playing the, the 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 role that Karloff would play when he was younger.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's much more astute than everything we just said for twenty minutes. Like <laughs> that's a jarring, jarringly accurate segue.
1: And I think I mean I love Michael Goff. Yeah. I think he's great. There's a film called, what's it called? Horrors of the Black Museum. Have you seen that? I haven't he, he's haven't seen basically, He's basically doing his best Vincent Price. It's about a, a guy that collects implements that were involved in murders. Right. Uh, it turns out, spoiler alert, he's the murderer all along. It's Ooh. Vincent Price to the, to the nth degree. Um, and it's great. And I love him in that. Obviously, most people will recognise him from Tim Burton's Batman films.
0: <laughs> yep. Alfred Pennyworth yes. himself,
1: yeah, um, but I think he's a little bit too dashing for this for this role. Really? Yeah, I think. I mean, he plays it really well, and you almost buy it. And then you look at him, and you're like, "You're a chiseled little Rada man." Like,
0: that's true. Actually, I, you know what? I my initial read was that he was wholly believable because I find this in life. I I meet people who are so inexplicably handsome. Of the way that they're living do you know what i mean like sometimes you'll meet the craziest fucking drunk you've ever met in your entire life but they'll just have this like permanently 26 years old you know perfectly chiseled face great body thing going on that you just can't mm. figure out and so i placed him there uh but yeah through a slightly different lens he is less believable because he is such for me he's more of a fascinating person to look at he's got another one of those great faces um he is undeniably handsome but he pulls off this like stooped beaten down semi-mute character really well, and I think that's testament to his his acting chops. I think maybe if he had looked a little bit more like uh, his character in um, Sleepy Hollow, where he's notary Hardenbrook, he'd be mm. more believable, because he's a lot crispier, he's a lot older, obviously. He's got like a, again, in Sleepy Hollow, inexplicably, a huge grey mullet. I don't know how that happens. But he's always had such amazing hair and just so much presence. I loved him in this. Every second he was on screen, I absolutely lapped it up. And... I just really like him as an actor. I love his face. He, you know, as a visual actor, the way he walks and moves, everything's right on in this. And my main criticism, I think, of the whole movie, the only thing I couldn't really get over is when Mark Eden playing Robert Manning finds him dead, he just doesn't even react. He opens that box and Michael Goff is dead inside it and a great corpse, like a really well made up corpse and he just looks at it shuts the lid and walks away. There's no reaction yeah. whatsoever. Uh, it looks It looks like he's opened the box and it's empty and he's closed it and walked off. I don't know if they maybe added it in post or something. It was a bizarre beat and it massively undersells the loss of him from the movie.
1: I think, again, he's there and he does some stuff and he's meant to look a bit sort of menacing in that Boris Karloff way or mm. his character's meant to be a bit menacing in that Boris Karloff way. Yeah. But he's not menacing and then like the film sets up all these threads that like boris Karloff's character is 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 he a baddie he feels like a baddie he's got all these torture implements and he's sexist and is like not very nice and clams up anytime anyone mentions anything
0: and he has like a menacing uh, handler with glasses like he's got yeah. everything about a baddie written all over him
1: exactly and like that's designed to fake you out when it turns out to be the goodie at the end Mm. but there are all these threads the party the the festival in honor of lavinia goff's character all of the people that are running around doing sexy things Mm -hmm. like they just don't go anywhere they just sort of like here's a bunch of stuff we've scattered it through the script so you don't get bored Mm. but it doesn't really mean anything and you want it to mean something and that's what again the wicker man does so well it like sows all of these seeds and every single one of them pays off and like you think it might pay off one way and it pays off another way or you think it's going to pay off the way it pays off and that's also satisfying but yeah there's 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 very little care and thought put into paying off or setting up things that that are going to be satisfying later it's just like oh look boobs and then you know that's that's that'll do
0: yeah i, I... Yeah, couldn't agree more, and I think that's um not necessarily to the movie's detriment because if you take that fun Absolutely stuff out, not. where are we? We've got this yeah. horny antique dealer, you know, romping around the countryside, half-assedly looking for his brother, and then stumbling upon maybe a cult. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not great. So I think peppering that throughout is good, and you're totally right. Like again the way The Wicked Man does that is almost literary. Like It it plants all those seeds, it's paced really well, and everything everything wraps up really nicely with one of the greatest cinematic climaxes in history. The cinematic climax here is is not one of the greats, but it's satisfying in a way. It's rushed, uh, it feels constrained by budget to the max, but we we end up with what is essentially uh, a kind of mashed-up haunted house, occult, Misdirection, goody-baddie type switcheroo of an ending, uh, where you walk away kind of glad that there wasn't like a, a grisly massacre or a you know a huge exodus of characters to the graveyard right at the last minute. It's it's kind of cool that everyone basically survives except Goth.
1: As a sort of fairly sadistic viewer, I want more people to die. Yeah, but like there are plenty of films that do that and mm. do it perfectly well. That it doesn't need to happen in every film. But I mean, it's a little bit disappointing to me that like basically everyone's fine and you have to kill somebody and so why why not why not the butler Yeah. yeah yeah
0: exactly i love any anything basically in any form of media where there are you know modern harking back to to witchcraft and witch trials and the kind of occult symbolism that comes with that i love that woven into a modern narrative it's why i like a lot of modern folk horror quite genuinely and i think this movie does it well i it's better in my memory I think than it is rewatching it because that story is so strong. I love the story of the missing brother going to this secluded village and finding that they're celebrating the anniversary of a burnt witch and it turns out you're the last living descendant of that burnt witch and your brother's dead and fucking what's going on. You know, it's a very yeah. cool very cool story especially throwing in the psychedelia psychedelia delia delia <laughs> Fuck. either either's fine psychedelia of uh, the late 60s and throwing in the, the kinky side of things and the the sort of wildness of his dreams and the fact that he's a complete dick you know all of that stuff kind of works for me weirdly it's just that real ripcord ending that um, lets it down a little bit
1: yeah just like you say wheeling out Karloff to be like oh I guess he hypnotized you credits
0: yeah it's so Scooby Doo it's ridiculous and I love Scooby Doo so I'll say no more
1: Yeah. Right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, give our sum up thoughts and say goodbye to the good people.
0: All right, bud. Let's do it. Will you give it up, man? Nobody's out there. We're alone. Oh, no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. Curse of the Crimson Order, Jamie. Let's put this goat to bed.
1: yes so i like this film a lot Mm -hmm. i think it is bags of fun i think there are some great performances jutting up against loads and loads of shit in a way that just feels fun it's just a real mixed bag of nuts in a place doing some stuff occasionally it looks great sometimes it looks like last of the summer wine like it's it's just it's just good fun. And it's real zippy. It's like 87 minutes. Yeah. Um, if you watch the American cut, it's like 50 minutes because they cut all the sexy stuff out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, if you want the abridged version.
1: I, I'm, a, I'm a real sucker, like you say, for, for this sort of folk horror type story. The modern... And I guess the most modern a person could be in 1968 was an antiques dealer because they're already fucking around with the past. The modern... Jutting up against the the very ancient or creepy and old. And I love that. I'm a real sucker for that. Christopher Lee's made a bunch of those, obviously The wicked Man, mm-hmm. The City of the Dead. Like Oh
0: god, I love City of the Dead.
1: Yeah, it's great. I just I really I really love folk horror and this is one of them. So I have to love it. There you go. I give it six studs on my leather pants out of ten.
0: That's a pretty good rating. Um I I can't go as far as to say that I really like this movie. I enjoyed loads of it. I will never watch it again. But because I love witches and goblins, there aren't any goblins in this movie, spoiler, (laughs) because I love dark folk tales and I love rural mythology and I love Christopher Lee and I love Boris Karloff and I love Michael Goff, I did enjoy this movie on my second watch through because I got it the second time. And sometimes it takes two watches for me to really figure out why I'm being told by a movie and why I should enjoy it. So for me, I'm going to give it... um, I'm going to give it four big weird feathers in a headdress out of 14 feathers in a headdress. (laughs) It does a lot of things I really like badly, uh, but then it also just puts me in a place where I get to enjoy all those things being there. So for that... I like it, and for the rest of it, not so much. Um, I like the artwork, the costume design is fucking superb, and there are real memorable moments in this in this movie. So I do recommend watching it, and contrary to me saying, I would never watch it again, maybe watch it twice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can I, I've just remembered something that happens, and I want to just pick your brain on it before we before we fully wrap up. Go on, lad. Why does, at the very end of this movie, when he's on fire on top of the house... Why does Christopher Lee turn into the witch Lavinia?
0: Absolutely no idea. Don't understand what happens to his character. Don't understand what happens at the end. Don't really understand what is happening.
1: Because, like, Carlos down there being like, I always suspected he had a split mind.
0: Yeah, but why is he the now like the male, modern, physical embodiment of an ancient burnt witch? It doesn't make any sense. He's not related to her, is he? He's not part of that bloodline.
1: I thought he was the bloodline. No, wait. Eve is the bloodline, right? Eve is Eve is a Morley, and it's Lavinia Morley, and Bob is a Manning who is
0: ah, the, right. the
1: person, the people, or one of the people that burnt her.
0: Got it. Yeah. He. So it, his long, long lost relatives instigated the burning of Lavinia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Okay. That's not. But
1: he's. But yeah, Christopher Lee isn't related to her, I don't think. Like I think it's Eve. Right, Eve is Eve is the person who is the. But he's going to kill Eve. She's yeah. on the table. Yeah, is it pu- is it
0: purely uh, just a visual to show us? No, because it doesn't make sense. Because he's supposed to suddenly be revealed as the big bad, and we we are we like the witch, you know. I mean, I think I speak for both of us. We fucking love any burnt witch in any movie. So why are yeah. we now... Cho- oh, it's because he's burning. That's just... That's the dumbness. It's like, he's burning like she did. But she's
1: she's stoked. She's like cackling into the camera as, a, as the credits start to roll.
0: Maybe they just couldn't have a such a downer ending where both of them are burning in pain and one of them is having a good time. It's bad, dude. I don't know. It's It doesn't it's- land.
1: It is a load of old nonsense but it's a fucking fun time. If you want to watch a film about a, uh, an antique dealer with an erection romping around the British countryside desperately trying to pop it near any woman while occasionally some ritualistic murders might be happening in a Argento film nearby then this is the film for you.
0: Why were you not a '60s movie marketing guy, you just nailed it. <laughs> Everyone would watch that movie if you told it to them like that, and they fucked the marketing up on this movie in ways I can't even explain. You just nailed it. I think that's exactly it. If you like all those things, you're gonna love this movie. And one of the the biggest, you know, off-putting aspects of the movie is the main character, which is usually the death knell of a movie, right? But it doesn't put you off it completely because I think you quite enjoy just his buffoonery and you quite yeah. enjoy seeing how hard he's going to fuck the next thing up like yes he sucks but he's fun to watch sucking
1: yeah he's the world's horniest blank canvas
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like
1: so many movies have like a, a boring or pretty loose char- like main character so you can insert yourself into this yeah much like inserting your mum's head onto the pornography yeah um, You're
0: leaving that in, aren't you?
1: But like, I'm not that horny. Most people aren't that horny. Most people don't look at a blonde woman that they've just met and think, "Okay, when am I going to fuck you?"
0: When fucking hell?
1: <laughs> like most most people don't think like that. That's so, not like, horny.
0: You... That's straight up predatory entitlement. That's like fucking like, next level.
1: But that's the guy, isn't it? That like is that's good, how yeah. he operates. Like yeah. he literally follows the woman back to her room and is like, hmm? And she's like, your room's that way. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'll get you next time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a real inevitability about his advances that are just sinister. But in a... Oh, God, it's so hard to fucking talk about without sounding evil. The thing for me is, horny characters, generally speaking, you actually love it when they get what they want. Like Austin Powers, you love it when he gets laid, right? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, you don't love it when Bob gets laid in this because he's such a simpering little cretin about it. He's always, like, nuzzling and he looks fucking gross. Like, you're not happy for him when he gets laid. You're sad for her. (laughs) That's the problem with Bob. (laughs) He's not Austin Powers. That's the problem.
1: Yeah, and it is the 60s. So, like, maybe he could have been Austin Powers.
0: I'm just glad he's not. I'm just glad the closest thing we have to James Bond is Christopher Lee in this movie.
1: Do you think Mike Myers saw this movie?
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's a massive... You know, obviously, like, uh, Scottish parents lived in England. Anglophile, even later in life. Loves horror movies. Loves silly horror movies. There's no way on earth he hasn't seen this. He's a scholar of the classics. He'll have accidentally watched this thinking it was going to be good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is good. It's very, very enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, okay... It isn't good, but it's very, very enjoyable.
0: It's a very specific type of fun. Yeah. Great.
1: (laughs) So, we're done, right? We don't need to talk about Curse of the Crimson Order anymore.
0: I don't think so, bud. I think we did it. Okay.
1: Tell the people what they can do to support the podcast.
0: There's a million things you can do to support the podcast. Let me give you the abridged American version. One, follow us on Instagram. We have some great content, mostly Jamie. Two.
1: What's what's the uh, what's the Instagram handle in order for them to do that?
0: One A subheading at ft horror show. Yeah, that's us. Follow us at at ft horror show. Two, tell your friends, get out there, spread the good word. Grab Uncle Larry, stick him in his wheelchair, take him to the pond in the middle of the night, and tell him all about it. Three, I would say maybe rate and review if you can be asked. It's a really good way to to pump our plums, is to tap that five star and write, yay, that was great. The porn stuff was weird, but everything else was awesome. Uh, what else can they do, Jamie?
1: Uh, they can join us in the Wasteland, at the Wasteland's uh, resort over on Patreon, where we are releasing two extra episodes per month. Uh, there's other content on there. It's a, it's a good place. We We talk about different things on the Patreon, so we're reviewing... Tales from the Crypt, we review other shows like that, we talk. Uh, occasionally we just release some some uh waffle on episodes where we just sort of chat. Well uh most recently we we released one where we were talking about what scared us as kids, and it is a is a, a doozy and a half, I would say.
0: It's a hoot. It's like the after party. If you imagine that this is us on our best behaviour, which is hard to imagine based on this episode, the uh the Patreon is very much next level you get what you pay for it's super cheap it's very fun Uh, we're putting out more written content soon and um, the more people subscribe the more cool shit we can do for our for our patrons so get on over there put your hands in your deep old pockets and chuck us some quids
1: absolutely and on that I guess we'll see you next time
0: we'll see you next time we will see you next time see you next see you next time
1: next time I'll see you
0: (laughs) Nailed it. Nailed that!